Um, it's really good to be here. Um, we're going to look at the, uh, the second little section in the book of uh, 1 Peter. So, starting verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him, as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The, gla- the grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So Peter is writing this letter, his first letter, to um, these churches in northeastern Turkey, in five different territories of northeastern Turkey. And uh, the essence of his letter is found in the very first two words uh, in the first verse, where after introducing himself to them, Peter says, uh, to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And those are, again, five territories in northeastern Turkey. These were Gentiles scattered in those territories. And Peter is writing to those Gentiles and saying, you are elect you're chosen by God, and because you're chosen to be a part of an alternative culture, you are therefore exiles in that culture. And um, elect basically means we are, we are, we've been handpicked to resist the ways of our culture, to fight off what I often call the empire, um, which is not just the Roman empire, but the empire that has existed through all time and space. The human you know, conspiracy against God to be our own lords and our own saviors. And so the elect, if you're, if you're chosen, uh, you're like part of the special ops group that God has picked, uh, like Navy SEALs too, but not as um, you know, physically fit um, fighting machines, but rather we have been chosen as a special operations group um, to basically be uh, in recovery. <laughs> you know, it's kind of the opposite of a Navy SEAL. Like you, you've been picked to be in recovery from the addiction of the empire we're a part of, to be in, in detox, essentially. We're all helping each other. We've been chosen by God to help each other to detox from the empire and live together as exiles in this culture. So if we're not different from the culture, we are of no use to the culture at all. Uh, God has chosen us to be different, 
to be counterculture, to be avant-garde, and to be holy, and therefore really different from the world we live in. So elect first, and then exile second. That's the sermon outline. Okay, so elect. Uh, Verse 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. You did not bear yourself. A child does not choose to be born. Uh, A a child does not um, make a great effort to come out into the world. The mother makes all the effort. The one who bears the child makes all the effort. Um, The child is not praised for its great job in coming out of the womb. The mother is praised, and and so it is God who is the one that gives you life. You know, not yourself, but God. And uh, it's a brand new life that is imperishable. In other words, the life we're given is impervious to the rotten nature of the empire we live in. And it, it is rotten. Um, it sometimes looks really nice, but it's, it's, it's rotten to the core. And so we have to be different. Verse 15 says, He who has called you is holy, so be holy in all your content. And I've heard holy defined as like an, an ecosystem that is perfect and pristine and beautiful without any smog or toxic waste or anything like that. So we live in a world that is toxic and filled with uh, you know, smoke and fog, and to be holy is to come and live in this Eden-like world of God, the world of God, for God is holy. And so each one of us that is here, if you believe in Christ, uh, if you're part of this church, you have been handpicked. Uh, God comes to me and says to me, Ben Milner, I choose you to be a part of my people, uh, to be a part of this new community. And uh, if you've, if you've uh, watched this, uh, I guess I'd call it a mini-series, it's The Chosen, uh, this, this mini-series, which is, it's an app that you download and you can watch all the episodes, and I, I think it's fantastic. I would highly recommend it. So um, when I first started watching The Chosen, I thought The Chosen was Jesus. I thought that was a description of who Jesus, he's the chosen one. But as I've watched, I've learned that it's actually the chosen disciples as much as it is the chosen one. You know, he was chosen to choose us to be part of uh, his band of disciples. And so every single one of the disciples has this unique story, which, which the chosen goes into. And one of my favorites is Nathaniel. Uh, Nathaniel is an architect. This is kind of, you know, adding details that aren't really there in the Bible, but this embellishment, it, it, it's a really beautiful story. Uh, so he, they, they make Nathaniel into an architect. And he, is, uh, he has had this massive career-ending failure. Uh, one of the things he built just collapsed. And so his life in the empire is over. He has no more credibility in the empire. He's lost all his status. So he's sitting under this tree, and he's burning all of his old plans, all the architectural plans. He spent his whole life making. He's burning them, and he takes all the ash, and he just smears it across his face. He's weeping. He's crying out to God, where are you? You've abandoned me. And meanwhile, we know that Jesus is off on a hill watching all this happen. And he's, he's heading for the city that Nathaniel lives in to go and to call him by name. And it's this amazingly moving scene when he comes up and he finds Nathaniel. And he walks right up to him, looks him in the eye. He puts his hand on his shoulder. And he says, Nathaniel, I have known you for a very long time and I've been watching you. And I saw you sitting under that tree. And he says, don't look away from me, because Nathaniel looks down in shame. He says, look me in the eye. He said, I want you to help me to build my church. And it, it actually turns out that, uh, among other things Nathaniel does, is he, he is the one who builds the little booth when they go and 
have the Feast of the Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles in, down in Jerusalem. He's the one who builds that. And, and he does many other things. But the point is, over the course of the show, you see these people that, that are so unlikely, such unlikely heroes, if you will. And, he, and they're all picked individually by Jesus, and they begin to live into the way that he sees them. As he sees them, and as he calls them, so they become. And it's tempting right now for you to think, okay, those were disciples, those were the big 12, and I'm a nobody, and so this does not apply to me. But it actually does. Uh, because he didn't choose Nathaniel because Nathaniel was a great architect. He chose him in his abject failure, and that's where he really does his powerful work, right where you failed, um, right where the empire stops making sense to you. If somebody had come to Mount Tabor High School in 1988 and said, of all these students, who is the least likely one to be up here preaching in 2021? They would have said that guy right there, uh, that six foot seven atheist who uh, hates Christians and is completely unable to stand up in front of a, a class and even give a presentation. Like, I, I stood up once in front of a class, and I sat right back down because I could not speak. And uh, God took my greatest weakness, my greatest failure, and he said, that's where I'm going to use him in the kingdom. So I don't care how small you feel or how much of a failure you feel, God will make you into what he wants you to be. He will call you into what he calls you to, what he says about you. Um, Peter knows that firsthand, right? Because Jesus found him, this uh, tempestuous, uh, angry, mercurial, weather vane, and, and Peter uh, is told by Jesus, you're not going to be Simon anymore. That's not who you are. Uh, I call you the rock. <laughs> exactly the opposite of what he was. I'm going to call you the stable one, the one upon whom I will build my church. And so Peter now comes to these uh, idol-worshiping, pagan, uh, Gentiles, and he says, uh, verse 18, you were ransomed. Your, your old futility is not who you are anymore. That's not who you are. You're, you're ransomed. He's redefining them. Your souls have been purified, verse 22. So verse 18, you're ransomed. Verse 22, you're, you're purified. And then verse 23, you are imperishable. Ransomed purified, imperishable, past tense, completed actions. That's who you were, and that's what has been done to you. All that's been done to you. So think about your role in this church. Um, it's not an accident that you're here. Uh, there's a reason that you're part of this family. We can't do any of these things alone. Nothing we can do important, we can do alone. Nothing. We have to do it as different members of the body, different parts of the body. Uh, there's a reason that he has called you into this family to do something for this city that we're in with this family. And together, living counterculturally, uh, to live holy lives uh, is incredibly power. There, there's no greater power uh, than doing that. And, and live, if, if we don't look different as the church from the city, then we are of no use. So that's the first point. We're, we're elect, uh, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the city, called to be holy, uh, to live in an alternative culture, to be aliens and strangers and immigrants. And by definition, if you are an immigrant in a culture, uh, you are not going to speak the language well, you're not going to know the customs well. And so uh, that world out there should be very strange to us. And it should grow stranger as we detox from it. And now we move into being in exile. Uh, you're living in exile. Imagine living in a foreign country 
uh, in exile from the United States because you did something wrong here and you got sent away. That's what we're like. We're citizens of another realm. Our kingdom is not of this world. And so, what does it mean to live in exile? Well, I want you to imagine if you can, if you can possibly imagine this, a culture where everyone is distracted by entertainment. Does that seem possible to even think of a culture like that? There's a book by Neil Postman called Amusing Ourselves to Death, written in the 80s, gotten much worse. He didn't even know about the iPhone, but um, Amusing Ourselves to Death is about how uh, we completely ignore reality, we, uh, we avoid the truth about what's really going on in our lives, about the battle between good and evil that's out there. Uh, we, we ignore all the devastation of the empire we live in, uh, and we are uh, conformed to the passions of our ignorance, as Peter puts it. I love that phrase, verse 14. We are conformed into the passions or the desires, the overwhelming desires of ignorance. They keep us ignorant. And so imagine you're living in that culture and someone comes up to you one day and they tell you um, there's a lot more to reality than you know. You're, you're living underground, you know. Uh, you, you, you don't understand what the real world is like. And imagine if they offer you this little pill and they say, if you take this pill, this is like a truth serum and your eyes will be open to reality and you will see what's going on. Uh, you will see the struggle that you have been trying to ignore. Uh, the battle within your soul, the battle that's going on out there, uh, we, we live, uh, we do not fight against flesh and blood. Uh, we, we fight against uh, these principalities, these rulers of dark places, and we, we conveniently ignore them. But Peter says, you have been born again through this pill or seed that is the living Word of God. So when we begin to take into ourselves the Word of God, we see what things are really like. And that's when we enter into exile. You know, this might sound familiar to you. You might know a movie that is somewhat like that. <laughs> it's called The Matrix. And when Canoe uh, Reeves uh, takes the pill, he sees that actually he's part of this massive war that's going on. And he's got to live now in exile from this matrix that he thought was the real world. Peter says... Verse 17, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time in exile. And I think what he means by that is uh, conduct yourselves aware of the dangers uh, that are presented to you by just conforming to the world. Um, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Um, Peter actually draws his Gentile readers into the story of Israel. Uh, because he uses this phrase in verse 14, prepare your minds for action, uh, being sober-minded. And the phrase literally means in Greek, tuck in the cloak of your mind, which is a reference to the Passover night when Israel, during the Exodus, was asked to get ready, buckle up, we're heading out of Egypt, we're going to the Promised Land. And so in Exodus 12:11, it reads, tuck in the cloak and get ready to walk. In other words, leave behind Egypt and head towards the promised land. We don't have much more time here. We're heading out tonight. We're leaving the empire. We're leaving the slavery of the empire, and we're going to the promised land. And so being sober-minded is being no longer drunk on the distractions of the empire. Don't anesthetize yourself, but wake up and see that this thing has its claws in you, and it is trying to own you and possess you. 
with all these powerful desires that you are subject to every day that you do not realize are conforming your mind, um, that we're leaving Egypt. So you don't need to buy Egyptian furniture and fix up your Egyptian home. You, you need to get out of here, and you need to make yourself lightweight and head towards where we're really going, because that's the real world. This is not our home. So he says in verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Again, conforming is like wax being poured into a mold, and, and you are getting turned into this thing that you don't even choose to be, simply because you live in this empire of illusion. Uh, it's like your neural pathways get conformed into the images you see on your screens. I mean, think about the number of images you're exposed to every single day that just come to your mind unbidden, and they try to begin to change you. And it, it's, it's, it's sad, it's tragic, it's pathetic. Because a lot of times we're told by our culture that those passions are what most define you. You know, when people say you be you, often they mean like follow, your, follow what you really like, what you desire. You know, whether it's uh, any kind of sexual self-expression or any kind of gluttony or greed or desire to get power over people, live the power games of the empire. You know, the culture is like, follow your heart. Do what you like. Do what you want to do. And, and the kingdom says, no. Do not be conformed to those passions. I think about like the iPhone commercials where they try to make everyone in the commercial look like they're really being themselves, like they're really standing out. And uh, you've got these young people who are very cool and they have their designer clothes that are very hip and they're doing flips and dancing and all that stuff. And there are all these different colors of the, you know, the iPhones. And, and in reality, everybody's being conformed to the same image, right? The, these iPhones are what conform us. It's this sad thing where we think we're being so unique and we're being like a subdivision of cookie-cutter homes, really. We're just being completely made the same. And, and these things, these passions, they, they drive you into generational sins, into these patterns of futility. Verse 18 says, the futile ways of your forefathers, the Milner habits, all these you know, generations of Milners that are very proud. They're very intellectually proud people. And we're also very gluttonous people. Uh, the Milners love their food, and the Milners do not like to wait for their food. Um, especially at restaurants, we, um, we do not want to wait to be seated. It's like this thing in my family that if there's like a 20 or 30 minute wait, we're not going there. And so you've got to avoid the 20-minute wait. And I don't know where this happened to me. You know, I drunk this Kool-Aid from a young age, but um, a few weeks ago, we were uh, pulling into Pancho Villas, which is a restaurant over here on Stratford Road, my son's favorite restaurant. Uh, he was so excited to be going there, uh, sophomore in high school, Cooper. And I said, Cooper, okay, you know the routine. I'm pulling up right in front of the door, and you're going to get out and run in there and get our name on the list. And uh, see those people right there? Uh, we're going to pass those people and get in front of them. And Cooper was like, Dad, they're like Ida and Papa's age. You know, they're like your parents' age. We, would you want someone to do that to your parents? And I was like, whatever, okay. So I, I parked the car. You know, I had to go all the way to the other parking lot, and I parked the car and let the family go ahead of us. So we get to the hostess, and I see that family being seated. And I was just overcome by this terrible fear that, perhaps they got the last table, and there's going to be a 20-minute wait. And I said, Cooper, if we have to wait 20 minutes, that's on you, okay? That's because of you. And um, just the way, I mean, 
to begin to shape my son into this impatient person, uh, to begin to shape this poor sophomore in high school into being gluttonous. It's, it's, it's really terrifying. Um, it could also, it could be any kind of passion. It could be uh, your drive, you know, to make a bunch of money or to, to, to advance or your lust, you know, a porn addiction or something like that, uh, or just saying inappropriate comments about women, um, flirting too much if you're married. I mean, these are ways that your children, the, the futility of these desires, um, they're being, we're being conformed into these things. The empire does this to us. But thanks be to God that that is not the last word about us, is it? That is not. If you're a believer, the last word about you is verse 18. You were ransomed from your futile ways. Even as you are impatient at restaurants, you were, you were ransomed. Even in those moments, even in your worst moments. And it, it wasn't a ransom with perishable things like silver or gold, which actually are not very perishable. It's it's just showing you how imperishable the blood of Christ is. That's what ransomed you. You know, it implies that we're hostages, doesn't it? You don't get ransomed unless you're a hostage. So we're these hostages, and the, the price on our head is limitless. No amount of gold or silver. It's like the price is death. The price is death. So I am in this captivity. You're in this captivity, the empire of death. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to pay the price for him. I'm going to lay down my life to free him from bondage. Amen? Father, we pray for you to deliver us, God, not to be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we will understand your way, your, your way of life, uh, your good and perfect way of life. Um, and I pray, Lord, even as we fail to do that, that we would know as we take this meal, we were ransomed. And that, that is who we are. Uh, we are bought by the blood of Christ. And we have been atoned for, and we are no longer the empire's possession. We are your possession. We are your children. In Jesus' name, amen.